0: Start Your Own Business podcast. Hear inspiring startup stories and get reliable expert advice on how to start your business and get off to the best possible start. Brought to you by Startup Donut, helping small businesses succeed.
1: Hello, I'm Chloe Thomas, your host. And in this episode, I'm chatting to Matt Mahatme, ex-bartender who started Lixir Drinks in 2017 with Jordan Palmer, and launched the brand in 2018, they spotted a gap in the market for tonics and mixers that combined big flavours with less sugar, fewer calories and nothing artificial. Matt and Jordan are proud disruptors who wanted to create a brand with an edge and a contemporary feel with products that looked as good as they tasted. We're covering a lot of ground in this episode, including how they came up with the idea and the pre-launch process they went through, prepping at the start for future success, their branding and how they've built that, distribution channels in drinks, and some excellent tips that you're going to find useful whether you are building a drinks business or any other business. Matt's hugely insightful, so I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. Before we meet him, though, do find out about the show's sponsors, Dell Technologies, and how their technology solutions could help your business to become more productive, efficient, secure, and successful. This series of the Start Your Own Business podcast is brought to you by Startup Donut in association with Dell Technologies. Did you know you can get even more out of Startup Donut with new exclusive benefits from Dell Technologies? Dell for Startups provides key solutions to help set up your startup for success, including exclusive member pricing and a dedicated technology advisor who will get to know the needs and goals of your business. Advisors will deliver customised, scalable solutions for rapid tech enablement with top business class PCs and accessories. Join now for valuable resources that will help your business get growing. Visit dell.com forward slash UK startups to join today. It's time to meet our startup expert, Matt Mahatme. Hello, Matt. Hi
0: Chloe, how's it going?
1: It's good. It is great to have you here and thank you for sparing the time in your super busy startup to, to be talking to us today. So before you started your business, you were doing something kind of quite different in that you did a biology degree, didn't you? And then ended up working in the hospitality sector. So how, and, and during that process, you met your uh, your co-founder. So how did you guys kind of meet and how did you decide it was going to be a good time to build a business
0: yeah so coincidentally jordan and i both ended up going to, to newcastle university which is which is where we re rekindled our friendship so actually we've known each other since i think 1997 um since we were sort of yeah you know, first year of reception at school and we were, we were friends at school but lost contact and then first day of university maybe it's maybe it was fate but i sort of bumped into Jordan's dad, he was, and he was moving him to the same halls as me, and we would become sort of really close friends throughout that period, and we were actually living together up in up in Newcastle, sort of post university, and that's when we had the idea, obviously, of, of setting up the business. But yeah, we've been been friends for for a while pre that.
1: Has that your length of friendship? Has that made running the business together easier or is it thrown up some things you thought would work differently to how they have? I think
0: it has made it easier but I wouldn't say necessarily it's the the length of the friendship it's more of the the type of friendship um, and our personality type so we're quite both very transparent and, and honest people and I'd say that we've both been fortunate enough to kind of be raised with sort of similar similar values and it then makes your decision making a lot easier when those sort of shared core values are the same so you know whilst there's things that we disagree on it's quite easy to either come to a compromise or go actually I've got trust in the other person sort of one team one dream actually you know what I know that they're you're making that with the best intention so let's get behind it if we do disagree.
1: Excellent and how did you come up with the decision that you were going to go into business?
0: It was for Elixir actually it was the not actually the first idea that we'd had so I'd kind of it pains me to say it, a bit of a cliche, but I was the kid at school that sold sweets. You know, I'd used to go, I'd go and plug the vending machine so that people had to come and buy off me, all those kind of stuff. And then I was doing a few little entrepreneurial bits at university. And I think at university as well, Jordan had started doing some things. So we both kind of had that urge to start to start a business. And actually in our flat, we'd thought of loads of different ideas. And But actually Lixia was the first one that was organic. It wasn't kind of us sat there really stressing on how do we become self-employed? How do we do our own our own thing and having both well at the time both working in the drinks industry we kind of had the the eureka moment I guess as people call it um we had one of those moments and it was post post night out old habits die hard and sort of having only recently graduated we were still sort of going out a lot of the weekends probably drinking a little bit more than we should but we were the we were the host we were the kind of the party house and it was peak of the end of the kind of traditional gin boom and you know, flavor gin had really started to pop off it was after a night out. We were staring at all these flavored gins on on our sort of kitchen table, and we said, "Oh, it doesn't really make sense to to have a bottle of flavored gin where you spend you know, thirty five pounds on a rhubarb gin, and you can only have a rhubarb and t over and over again, and the gins a really expensive." Part, and we said, "Well, actually, if you flavor the mixer and make the mix more flavorful, you could buy a bottle of standard gin." Know, like a gordon's or a supermarket owned brand or beef eater and actually you could go from having a normal gnt to a rhubarb and ginger gnt to an elderflower gnt when we said that out loud we were like oh my god that makes you know so much sense and certainly for like a cash perspective as well for a young consumer you know you're ladled with debt or you know whether you've been to college or university or trying to save for a house get your first car and it's kind of actually the most expensive part is your spirit So that was our our eureka moment. It was actually sharing occasions better and it's more cost effective.
1: And you can satisfy multiple people with one bottle of gin rather than having to have the grapefruit and the raspberry and the blah, 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 blah to keep everyone happy, which takes the overall cost of the party down a great deal. So you had that eureka moment. What, you know, you you could see the benefit for you. What made you realise that this had the potential to be a good business
0: yeah so fortunately we were both working in the drinks industry at the time so we were sort of i guess compared to the, the general public we had a bit more of that sort of forward leaning insight we were seeing developments in other categories within within the industry which was really cool to see you know within sort of spirits and beer there was loads of kind of craft and niche players coming into the market to occupy their own sort of smaller niche within the within the space so We'd seen that happen across a category and no one was doing it in mixers. So for us, it was like, okay, well, there's a start there because no one seems to be doing it and it's happening across other categories. And then some of it really is just kind of your gut intuition was like, you know, we don't feel like there's a brand in the space that appeals to us. Why not? You know, there isn't beer, there isn't wine, there isn't spirits, but why not for mixers? So I guess, yeah, mixture of gut and I guess industry insight.
1: Excellent. You as you mentioned it is a disruptor product and you'd seen that, that that was working in similar spaces was being a disruptor a key part of the plan from day one or is it something which you've kind of realized in retrospective you were being disruptive?
0: It's definitely been something that's part of the plan since day one. I think some of that is intentional around kind of you know where we see our marketing and our marketing position. And two, some of it is just inevitable. When you start off, you're starting from a smaller space, so you kind of have to be different to, to be noticed. Some of it's planned, and I guess some of it is 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 forced. And I think the brands that do well and are successful are the ones that do really disrupt and have a point of difference because, you know, ultimately, mixers have existed for a while. You know, we've not created a new technology product that has never existed before. You know, we're a drinks brand, but it's how we, you know, stand out that it means that we have to be a disruptor.
1: And... Thinking about kind of the launch process after you decided you were were going to go for it, as we said in the intro, you started in 2017, but you didn't launch until 2018, because with your type of product, there's a bit of product development that has to happen. So how long did that take? And how did you how did you approach it?
0: Yeah, it was, um, it was quite a long time in the making. I think, you know, sort of two young what, 22, 23-year-olds, I think we thought within a couple of months of having the idea that we'd have a product, and we'd be selling pallets of it. And, uh, you know, I laugh looking at our old business plans and sort of the volume assumptions that, that we'd made. But it actually took us 18 months to kind of go from that first eureka moment in our flat to kind of having a, an actual physically produced product. And Actually, during that development process, I think one of the real key learnings that we had is and has paid dividends sort of subsequently is to be really thorough that, you know, we were really young and had so much enthusiasm, but there is, you know, a huge value in, in being patient. So things like our brand name, we trademarked, we we had the, the vision that we wanted to be an international brand longer term. So we trademarked Lixia within Europe and the UK and you know we had to wait three months for that and that was before we could do any design work anything on the name and there are things that people often don't realize they create a brand in their head and then they realize actually i can't take it outside of the uk okay well, what what do i do so some of that planning was it was hard you have to sit on your hands you're eager to sort of do more but you know longer term it's made us more investable you know it's allowed us to export confidently into europe so yeah the planning took sort of from concept to launch about 18 months and then also finding the right suppliers um you know it's k- kind of almost premeditating some of the challenges you might have in the future and you know we went with a, a bottler that was more expensive and much larger in a more of quantities you know it was a huge risk for us to take but it meant that you know longer term actually we could scale with them if the business went to where we wanted to whereas if we'd gone with a small supplier a couple of years into our journey would have had to move and you know, moving manufacturers a is a really big task so yeah it took 18 months but i think yeah some really good learnings on having a bit of patience.
1: <laughs> and a lot of time saved in the future as well, based on you know, not making a short-term decision, but making a long-term decision. You mentioned it's made you more investable, some of the things you've done from day one. How did you fund it all for those first 18 months and for the launch? Did you, did you borrow money from family and friends? Did you max out credit cards? Did you find investors? Did you do a crowdfunder? What was your way of funding? The business in those early stages.
0: So, kind of through the development phase, Jordan and I self-funded. So it was very much life savings, uh, bit of inheritance, all into okay. Well, we yeah, we cleared ourselves out to kind of living to paycheck to paycheck, and everything went into it. Which, to be honest, was probably some youthful naivety and not really. Uh, yeah, I think our parents, if they'd known it initially, they do now what we put. You know, how much we put into it, they'd have been like, "What are you doing that for?" But how uh, we kind of put yeah, like our life savings together into the business, and then. We also did a crowdfunder just before we launched. So we did a rewards-based crowdfunder, which was essentially people could pledge for packs of tonic of varying sizes. Some had spirit partners in. And if we successfully hit our crowdfunding target, once we produced our first ever batch, they would be the first customers to receive, sort of receive product in lieu of sort of supporting us up front. So it's kind of a double-edged approach. And then there's only about two and a half months into, into launching and actually having product. You know, we'd basically sold out And that was at that point. We're like, okay, I think we're onto something here. Where we approached, you know, a couple of people on our network that we knew were were keen to invest into into brands, and had said, look, if this dream becomes a reality, you know, about a year and a half before, come to us. You know, if you if you are looking for funding, and then yes, subsequently took on our first round of what we call, I guess, seed investment.
1: So the going back to that crowdfunder quickly. I've heard a lot of brands say that the crowdfunder was great for the money and the orders, but it was even better for the community and the customer list it bought up built up from day one. Has that been something you found, or is it, is it have you have you found that get brought you good customers and everything as well as the sales, or was it purely the the sale, you know, the income side of it that was the goal for you?
0: To be honest, there was, there was sort of two reasons we did it. The income was obviously great. Secondly, for us, we didn't want to kind of just create a product and go to market and say, well, we've created this product, here it is. You know, it was like, okay, how can we build a story before having product? And we'd waited so long, it was actually, if we can do a build up where we don't have the product yet, you know, one, it's great market validation, but two, it allowed us to, as you sort of you know, mentioned, to sort of build a community pre even having a, a physical product. And it wasn't a huge community, but I think, you know, we had 269 backers being able to take that to our first customer um and say look we've only got brand designs we've got a concept here no one's even tried the liquid but they're really backing us and our story you know what's not to love about that i guess you know sort of two guys trying to sort of take on some of the, the the bigger players and that you know helped us get our first ever listing which was which was great and then yeah those those backers have become sort of longer term advocates i'd say slightly less so in our model because it was rewards based rather than an equi- traditional equity based crowdfund so that you do find with equity based crowd funders, obviously, the customer has more of a longer term buy into to what you're
1: doing. I love the way you, which you you use the the proof of the people are buying in to get you listings. Now, listings, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Matt, but listings, that's when you get your product into a retail store or a retail chain. So essentially the wholesale selling model. So soon after you started, you were doing wholesale into, I guess, retails and bars?
0: Yeah. So how, how the model works is, I guess it's called on and off trade so the on trade is anywhere where you can consume alcohol on premise off pre- pre- uh, off traders we have to take that and uh you know consume at home so you traditionally is your convenience stores your, your big retailers etc our kind of first avenue of sales was through the on trade but to kind of open up pubs and bars you obviously need to be selling into a wholesaler that supplies them so that was our first our first major stumbling block is getting into that those wholesalers to be able to service bars because service them individually you know, delivering to 50 outlets yourself rather than sending a pallet to one wholesaler is, you know, a mammoth task. And then you've got to chase for 50 invoices rather than one. So we went straight down that wholesale route, you know, initially. But actually, interesting, our first customer was uh, Fennec, the department stores. It's their flagship store in Newcastle. And yeah, we were like, okay, that's a great place to display your products. Having launched in the Northeast, they were really supportive of us. Uh, But we actually hand-delivered that that first order. I remember sort of, driving down with Jordan. And then we sort of get into this, you know, drop-off point, and it was just us you know, taking it out of the back of a car, which sort of raised a few eyebrows. But yeah, the, the model was initially go through sort of wholesalers and then into bars.
1: And did you do the the D2C, so the selling direct to consumers via your website from day one, or is that something which developed later?
0: It, it developed later. Actually, it developed out of the, the pandemic when you know we lost 90% of our business overnight um, when pubs and bars bars closed. So you know, you pivoted really quickly to that D2C model. And um, We did have some D2C presence, but it wasn't something we are investing a lot of time into. I think yeah, for anyone setting up a business, you're looking and, and understanding your value chain is really, really important. Because in your head, you're like, oh great, we'll go direct to consumer, we'll cut these guys out. But actually, sending one case to a consumer is more expensive for us. We make less money on it than we would do necessarily selling, let's say, a full pallet into Amazon or selling a pallet into a retailer who's got an online store and does that kind of fulfillment side themselves. Glass, liquid's also really, really heavy couriers don't want to touch it when it breaks it's expensive so yeah it was something that we adopted later on when we were kind of forced into that by covid
1: and now you've been forced into it are you glad you've got it as an arm of the business or does part of you kind of think God, oh, i wish we just stuck with the on trade off trade side of things
0: we want to be a digital first brand so having an online presence is really important to us so i'm really glad we do do have it now it's one of those things actually once you have that infrastructure set up it's not overtly costly to to run you know it's harriet our brand manager who sort of set up our website etc she's done an incredible job and you know she can manage that quite comfortably on her own and whether there's 100 orders coming in or 500 it it does it's sort of self-fulfilling there isn't too much over investment on there so it's a really good good channel to have and you know it's only ever going to become more increasingly popular you know that d2c Models so yeah, i'm really glad we have
1: it and you mentioned you've got a brand manager there and you have a very very strong brand and we've talked about the trademarking side of things before you could get on with doing the branding within the sector you're you know within the, the business you've been creating the brand has, has been crucially important as you recognized on day one so how did you go about creating it did you use an agency did you use a friend did you do it yourselves and have you had to rebrand at any point
0: yeah so the name elixir we came up with ourselves and that was again almost a bit of a eureka eureka moment so it's a shortened form of the word an elixir and the definition of an elixir is a medicinal drink often consumed with alcohol now the origins of kind of tonic water is that the the quinine which is the defining ingredient which makes it you know gives it that slightly bitter taste used to be used as an anti-malarial by the british army when they occupied india so that kind of elixir is a nod to well actually that's the historical use of of quinine is that medicinal um, purposes and it's also got a great great ring to it and cutting off the e allows us to kind of use that x as a you know real sort of center point of our our brand and you know jordan and i when we first out on that it, creating the brand always said we'd love to have a brand asset a bit like the the apple apple or the you know, the nike tick where we know we've made it as a brand when the Elixir x is on a you know pub quiz where it's like which brand is this so we kind of came up with the name our, ourselves, and it also ties into one of our really important sort of business goals. So, you know, we want to be um, a sustainable brand. We want to give back, and we donate a percentage of our revenue to a clean water charity. Um, so essentially, for every case we sell, we provide 100 liters of clean drinking water, which is also a nod to our to our name. So if you're fortunate enough to have an elixir in the UK and be able to go out and drink with your your friends, you are actually providing an elixir for someone else who doesn't have that that privilege. And one of the things that we learn how you behave and your values is an intrinsic part of your brand beyond obviously how it how it looks. So a lot of our brand is something that kind of is inherently Jordan and I predicting our values into a into a product and a business. But yeah, from a design perspective, we've done a couple of brand reiterations. Uh, we did use an agency for that. So we used one sort of smaller agency initially. And then as you kind of go on you learn more about your business, you kind of see actually this needs to evolve. And if you look at any even big brands always changing their packaging. It's about how it makes the consumer look and feel. Uh, and then yeah, about a year and a half ago, we did a really successful rebrand and we really wanted to own our, our space of being a you know, contemporary challenger. Um, so use an amazing agency for that called Launch. someone we built a personal relationship up with prior to that, you know, going into that, which I think actually is really you know, paid dividends because we had that personal relationship. It felt like we could be really honest with our feedback rather than potentially upsetting someone you know, in a new agency that we'd only just, you know, the longer the relationship is, the easier it is to go, you know, what? I hate that. That doesn't feel very us. So, yeah, we've used a mixture of both. But, yeah, it's been, been a fun journey creating the brand.
1: You've given us lots of tips already, Matt. But thinking of someone who's about to start their own business journey right now, what three key tips would you give them to help them avoid some of the pitfalls and embrace some of the success a little bit faster?
0: I think... That's a really good question. There's just so many great nuggets of advice that we've had from other people, but a bit of a cliche, but it's so true. Cash is king. It's always, you know, in your back back your mind thinking, you know, how am I funding this? Great if I'm going to sell it, but when am I getting the money in after I've sold it? You know, everyone will be on payment terms. So cash is king. It's always kind of that's your number one thing to focus on to start off. Is that how am I funding it? Is it sustainable? And that doesn't mean you know you might not be able to self fund it yourself. You know, there's plenty of funding options out there. Whether that's raising vest you know, investment, taking a loan, but you know, having that in mind from the start, um, because it creeps up on you really quickly and it can be very stressful <laughs> when that sort of bank balance is looking low. And that might not be that you're not performing well, it might just be that there's loads of money in stock. So I'd say cash is king, so always look at your cash flow. Uh, really important from day one and get into the habit of that. I'd say two, like trust your gut. Again, a bit of the cliche, but I think your gut always serves you serves you right. And sometimes, you know, 90% of people will be telling you the opposite, but if your gut's saying, isn't that ten percent? do it you know part of starting up a business is your appetite for risk uh, and that's often going against the grain so trust your gut even if that is going against what other people say and i think third is go into it knowing that you're going to have to make sacrifices but there will be challenge, you know that they and that there will be challenges but it'll be but it'll really be worthwhile if you put kind of your full whole you know head and heart into into it you know there's always going to be a trade-off somewhere you know for me it was you know having to sort of travel around be away from my partner for a long period of time but Subsequently, now I've carved the life out that I really love and in, enjoy, but you know she would say that it's one of the best things I've ever ever done, but it doesn't come without personal sacrifice. So be aware of that before you, before you start.
1: Excellent advice. Thank you very much for giving us those, Matt. Before we say goodbye, though, everyone I'm guessing is going, "I must try Matt's elixir." L- so could you please let the audience know how they can find you and your business on the web, please?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for ordering, you can either go onto Amazon Prime. So the full range is available next day delivery. If you just search Lixy Drinks into Amazon, LixyDrinks.co.uk. if you want to order mixed variety packs off our website. And then for socials, if you just search Lixier Drinks UK into Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, you'll you'll find us on all major social channels. Give us a follow.
1: Excellent. And just for total clarity, everyone, that is L I X. IR to find the brand. Just in case you're going, I can't work out how to spell it. Matt, you've been an absolutely excellent guest, sharing so much insight with the audience. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
1: How well does Matt have his head screwed on? I mean, that is a, if the Lixir brand doesn't go huge over the next few years. I suspect something else which Matt and Jordan do will. Definitely one to watch. For me, the key, key, key points of all the things he ran through were, of course, his point on cash can make or break any business and is extra crucial in a startup. The brand side of things, they've invested in the visual brand where they've needed to, but they've also been fully aware that the brand is so much more than just that visual. It's about the, the values, the vision they've got, and making sure that that is held through everything, which makes the creation of the visual brand so much easier. So it was great to hear him kind of waxing lyrical about that. And then thirdly, the preparation work they did, which I think, you know, if you're planning on building a brand that can go big, like the one they're doing, you have, or, or it massively pays off to spend that time at the beginning plotting and planning and making sure you've got all your ducks in a row and you're making good long-term decisions so that once things start, start growing faster, you are not busy quickly changing stuff. You're busy dealing with increased production and greater sales rather than going, oh no, we need to change our fulfillment house. Oh no, we need to change our bottler, et cetera, et cetera. We covered a lot of ground in this episode. So to help you, you can find the summary notes for this episode and links to more free resources by visiting startupdonut.co.uk forward slash podcast. And remember that is Donut spelled D-O-N-U-T. This series exists to help you complete key tasks and negotiate challenges when setting up and growing your new business. So next up, we'll be covering how to successfully start a family business. It's a great way to start a business, but what should you consider in advance to set yourself up for success? Our guest, Fiona Graham of the Institute of Family Business will be sharing all the advice you need, including the best ways to go about it. And even if you're not starting a family business, maybe you're starting one with a great friend like Matt has done. There's a lot of great tips in there that are gonna help you build for success too. If you're enjoying the series, picking up valuable tips, then please spread the word to others you know who are setting up a business or thinking about it. And be sure to sign up to the Donut Weekly newsletter for free startup news, advice and special offers to help your new business succeed. You will find that at www.startupdonut.co.uk forward slash newsletters. Finally, thank you to Dell Technologies for making this whole series possible. And don't forget to join the Dell for Startups programme for more exclusive benefits and valuable resources. Details coming up now. Did you know you can get even more out of Startup Donuts with new exclusive benefits from Dell Technologies? Dell for Startups provides key solutions to help set up your startup for success, including exclusive member pricing and a dedicated technology advisor who will get to know the needs and goals of your business. Advisors will deliver customized, scalable solutions for rapid tech enablement with top business class PCs and accessories. Join now for valuable resources that will help your business get growing. Visit dell.com forward slash UK startups to join today.